0: Welcome back to episode number 199 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast where we're developing a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about how to become a global expert in explosion safety and protection. We're doing that with Paul von Norden, global ATEX expert for Friesland Coppina, and he is based in the Netherlands, but Friesland Coppina is a global company. I'm going to let Paul give some of his background in this episode. But I'll kind of start off by saying, Paul, welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming on for Dust Safety Science. Thank you. I'm really excited. We've had some really good discussions with Paul over the years, myself specifically. We got to meet once in Germany at an event. He's been a, a longtime follower of the weekly incident newsletter. I think we're going into almost into the fifth year now of running that newsletter every Sunday uh, with explosion incidents. And we've had a lot of conversation back and forth about incident investigation. What's some of the challenges that we have on the way we do incident reporting and covering news media and that? And some of those conversations that led to, okay, well, let's talk about incident investigation and Paul's background. And once we started putting an outline together, I think we came up with at least three podcast interviews. This one is the first of those, how to become a global expert in explosion safety and protection. I believe next week we're going to come back on the podcast and talk about differences in incident investigation for gas and dust explosions. Now, I'm going to invite Paul back on for a future episode talking about investigating failures of explosion protection devices. And who knows, we may even come get some other episodes come out of the discussion today. So in today's interview, we're going to talk about this topic of how to become a global expert in explosion safety and protection. We originally covered just instant investigation, but through the discussion and kind of outlining of the episode, realize that there's a real value here for the audience that are interested in developing their expertise in explosion safety and explosion protection. And move into this sort of international expert realm and move into companies. So I want to dig into Paul's background here. We're going to talk into Paul's background, how he gets started in ATEX, process safety and explosion safety. What his training looked like and how he ended up with his current employer. And any other words of wisdom that he has from his journey. So Paul, I want to say thank you again for coming on the Dust Safety Science Podcast today. I think a good place to jump in is just, can you explain a bit about your background, your current role and work with industry today?
1: Yes. Well, thank you for your invitation yes well i'm a trained mechanical engineer and i've worked a few years in that field and then i made a sudden change i became a missionary in albania but in 2000 i came back to the netherlands and i started working in the field of mechanical engineering again especially with the european ce directives and one of them is the machinery directive but the other one was the atex directive so the in Europe, we have two directives about ATEX. and One is the ATEX directives for the um, employers and the other for the manufacturers. And I became involved in both. And so I advised manufacturers of machines about ATEX, how to make them ATEX compliant. And I advised employers about uh, their, what you call in America, the dust hazard analysis. Um, so about the zoning, the diff and class, right? and, and in Europe we say zone 21, zone 22, etc. And then uh, later on I moved to another company, and there they had an uh, incident investigation uh, team for gas explosions, uh, 24/7 hours, and well, it was a very interesting subject to investigate uh, gas explosions. And then in 2017, I was asked by Frisland Campina, which is a dairy company, to become their worldwide ATEX expert. And so suddenly I became involved in uh, dust explosion safety. So before in gas and afterwards in, in dust. So I'm still working with Frisland Campina. And fortunately, I've examined only a few explosions, or I should say near misses, in Frisland Campina.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you walking through that sort of high level and and a question that really pops up in my mind, the journey, you know, 2000, you came back to the Netherlands from your missionary work, you started working with the European C directives, including Atex, the employer directive, and Atex, the uh, manufacturing directive. You mentioned that you got into that, you know, working with those directives. I want to expand on that. How did you sort of get into Atex? Why did you, you know, start working with those directives and not other ones? How do you get into the explosion safety side? Was there some sort of specific point where you understood that you wanted to move into this world of process safety or, or where did that come from?
1: I think it was because after 2003, you know, also the dust side of uh, safety hazards had to be uh, investigated by employers. So it became an obligatory topic for the um, employers to investigate and to make their explosion protection documents. And I worked for an engineering company as a consultant. And so suddenly we saw a a huge gap in the market, to be honest. And we tried to step in that gap. And I found it a very interesting subject because, well, it's quite technical, but there is machinery and sources, but there is also the human and the organizational side of it. Because the organization must also comply with ATEX to make a safe environment for the employees.
0: I must admit that I find it an interesting topic as well, <laughs> if that's not obvious by now. <laughs> um, what, do, you, do you have any insight into what that driver was for 2003 for the employers needing to do their exposure protection documents? Was that a, a legal requirement through Atex or were there incidents that happened at that time? Where did, where did the level of interest come from, the level of attention?
1: Oh, that, that's an interesting one because uh, Sugar Imperial happened later. And this was 2003. But I think it was the the series of incidents that happened with dust that the European Commission understood that it should not only be gas, but also dust safety. I don't know exactly the trigger, but, you know, before that time, there was no European legislation about preventing dust explosions. And of course, explosions happened also with dust. So I think they saw the need for it.
0: This is a an aside topic from the one currently today, <laughs> but it's interesting because I just spent five hours working on a slide deck yesterday of incidents, dust explosion history over the last hundred years. I have a slide in there that has Hayes Lemmers, West Pharmaceutical, and another incident that happened in 2003. I basically say, you know, imperial sugar is what everyone attributes the most recent renaissance of combustible dust to, but really it was this trigger in 2003 that caused the CSB to get into it. And I didn't have the international side there, but it's very interesting that now today you're telling me 2003 was also when the European side got into it. There's probably a whole other discussion to be had there. And and the argument I make in that presentation that I'm going to be making is this is actually the third, at least the third large Renaissance in combustible dust. We had one in in North American 1900 to 1920 and then 1950 to 1960, 1970 with grain elevators then this most recent renaissance that started basically 2003 and each one propagates throughout the world. And then we sort of forget what we learned over about a 30, 40 year period. (laughs) So, and we're getting there, right? We're at 2023 next year. So that will be 20 years after 2003. So the argument I'm making in the presentation is we're just at the stage where if we don't keep the level of vulnerability up, we're going to start forgetting historically speaking, that's what's happened. So interesting topic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Sure.
0: so, Yeah, we had some more awareness and drive in 2003 in Europe and more focus on exposure protection documents. That was a a driver for your work and and really a gap in what was needed and that expertise for the companies that were providing those type of documentation. Where did you go from there? I know you have some different training. I think it'd be interesting. Again, the audience today, I'm really picturing maybe younger members of the field there are going, well, how do I get into this? Um, I'd, I'd love to work with a company as their ATEX expert. Or I'd love to work as a consultant. How did you get through those different roles and to where you're at today?
1: Good question. Well, nowadays, there are, of course, many trainings on ATEX, many good training institutes. I'm more a, a self-learning person. So, of course, it started with uh, studying the, the European directives. There is a very good guide, European guide for the ATEX directives. Besides that, the, of course, the ATEX the standards give you a lot of background. There is a lot of stuff on the internet. Many suppliers of ATEX stuff, they give good material, so you can find a lot of internet yourself. And uh, yes, I did follow some courses uh, about electrical aspects of ATEX. That's quite complicated, and so I can advise starters really to follow an ATEX course. I myself also gave these courses, and maybe I should mention the EICEX modules. So EICEX has a whole setup of different modules for competencies of people who are in the field of ATEX. The first module is about the basic knowledge of ATEX, and then the second module is about knowing how to make an explosion protection document. And so it goes on to maintenance and to repairing ATEX equipment. So EIC, EIX has a whole system of modules that people can learn and become an expert in that field, in that particular module.
0: Yeah. So I got two kind of paths here. One is the self-learning path, reading through this European guide for ATEX directives, reading through the you know, directives themselves looking to suppliers who are often providing really great educational material in the space. It, it only helps them that people understand explosion, isolation, prevention, protection, those sort of things, zoning, classific- area classification. And then the second path, which is more of a formalized learning environment, you know, following a given ATEX course, following IECEX and and any of the providers. And I think if you go to IECEX's website, they have a list of, for for many countries, who the, the recommended provider is for that country or that region. I wonder, did you know attending events or joining communities or being involved in you know in writing of standards like those sort of group activities? did that play a role with your development over time?
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. Especially when the whole area of dust mm-hmm. explosion safety was new for me, so I was very happy. And uh, the company in Germany uh, organizes these explosion dust safety days, and that was very uh, worthwhile. That and they still organize them. So, yes, there I learned a lot from the experts. Exhibition company uh, organized a yearly safety event for ATEX. The, uh, we call it the big ATEX Congress. And there we have excellent speakers. And sometimes I give a lecture there myself. So, yes, it's, it's very good to follow these, uh, these conferences.
0: And was it one of the explosion safety days where we met there a few years ago? Is that what I'm thinking?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so those were Rembi every year for a number of years held held explosion safety days in Germany and, and excellent events. I, I really appreciate it because it had educational material on explosion protection, it had demos, that sort of stuff. But they also brought in explosion experts from companies or even um, health and safety directors from companies and and some, you know, big world multinational companies talking about these are the challenges that we have internally. And it really gave light to what we're doing with, you know, Dust Safety Science, Dust Safety Professionals. Like, okay, these are the, the folks that we need to help. And, and I got to meet you and lots of other great people. So those events are tremendously valuable. It's good to hear that there are some in the Netherlands. We have seen them starting to develop. We talked with a gentleman from Turkey a number of podcast episodes ago, and he said, yeah, they're, they're hosting these sort of events locally there. Of course, mm-hmm. we have our annual conference. We didn't run it last year, but we'll be running in 2023, Global Dust Safety Conference. That's really meant to try to bring everyone together under one roof, we'll say. And Right now it's a virtual roof, <laughs> um, but it's really valuable.
1: As as an ATEX consultant, uh, you have to know everything, but of course you don't know everything. The the questions come from all sides, from from inside my company, and then you must must find an answer. So then you start digging into literature. Uh, For example, static electricity is something which is, I think, one of the most difficult subjects regarding dust explosions. So you need to know exactly what can cause a static electricity when and why not. But for example, also in, in our field, uh, smoldering uh, of material is a very interesting subject because smoldering can cause uh, ignition, but not all our dairy products have the tendency to smolder and some do have. And so... Yeah, because people started asking questions. Uh, how do we have to solve this problem? Or is this a dangerous situation? Or can we allow so and so temperature in our spray dryer? Or do we have, need antistatic filter cloth here or, or not? All these kinds of questions uh, were a trigger for me to dig deeper in the literature and to find answers for myself. It's not always there. I mean, sometimes you really have to dig deep in the literature to find answers. Another topic is, for example, mechanical sparks. There is risk for mechanical sparks, yes. But what if if the speed is a little bit higher? And what if it is stainless steel? And to try to find evidence for the statements that you make and say, okay, this is safe or this is not safe. And sometimes it's very important to know if something is safe or not. Sometimes if you say it's not safe, it means huge investments. So then you need to find, how to, how to say it, you need to know exactly if what you say is applicable for the situation that you don't base your judgment on a general statement somewhere in, in the literature. I, I hope this makes sense, but I'm, I mean, I've learned so much from digging deep in literature.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The really interesting thing is there's, I mean, this goes with the whole statement that the dust explosion started as a field in 2003. (laughs) Um, Not really. (laughs) There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of papers, research activities, research programs dating back to the 1800s and, and even before. And a lot of them got lost. Like they're either in different languages, they're behind Paywalls they're stuck at random libraries. I remember with a consultant who or he used to be a consultant. And he works at the University of Bergen now. Some folks may be able to figure who that is from from this discussion. But he said he was on holidays in, in North America and he's in Washington, and he he stumbled past the whatever the big library is there, the big government library, and he went in and said, "Hey, you know, do you have access to these Grain Miller journals from you know the the 1900s onward?" They say, "Yeah, here's you know here's here's where we have volumes one through." 56 or whatever and he said he spent eight hours in there taking pictures of all these journal papers from you know the 40s and 50s and 60s all covering grain dust that just are completely gone to the history books and on your side the question is okay well all that stuff's there how good is the analysis and this is a general statements and can we prove or reproduce the information available and that's where the the expertise comes in to try to figure that out Um, we're trying to do some of that on the back end with, with the activities we do research wise, but it's a, it's a tricky field because we have so much information that is out there. And then it's hard to tell where the high quality, high fidelity, if if that word makes, makes sense. Information lies at the end of the day. And that's the power I think of these, you know, collaborative approaches, having these communities. So we talked about informal training. We talked about formal training. We talked about events, communities, organizations, Mm -hmm. um, committees. Those are all really important activities for somebody who's getting into this field, um, digging into the literature. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure how you do that if you don't have university access and can't just, you know, download papers. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll leave that for a whole other topic. But I guess coming from that side, you were working as an engineer and more of a consulting role. And how do you end up with Bryson and Compena? How do you make that switch over into, I guess we call it an, an industry role or supporting an industry, you know, one company directly, how did that transition look like for you? Because I can imagine there's somebody in that spot today in the consulting world that would be interested in, in maybe following that kind of path.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Fritz & has had their own internal ATEX consultant for, for many years. So there was a vacancy. So they were looking for another ATEX uh, uh, expert. And somehow they found me. And to be honest, I it a very interesting job because dust explosions... I find them even more interesting than uh, gas explosions because dust is not always the same dust. And that makes it so interesting. I mean, um, the dust particles change during the process. and, And even the dairy powders are so much different from each other. Dust is a science on itself. And then also all the technical parts. There are so many different... Technical items. It's the spray dryer. It's the rotary valve. It are the hoses. It are the, the sieves. Uh, Was the fluid beds. There, there is so much that can cause an explosion. So you have to know about all these different uh, technical items. And besides that, we also have the the human factor. Our ATEX trainings. We have our own set of ATEX trainings. And then also the managing of the explosion protection documents and helping the sites with making good explosion protection documents. So it's a lot of work, but I like the combination of human factor and uh, the technical aspects.
0: Yeah, thanks for going through that, Paul, because I think it's really interesting to, you know, highlight a methane gas is a methane gas here. It's a methane gas on the moon. It's a methane gas in Zimbabwe under hot conditions mm-hmm. and and so on but you know a processing dust just changes so much even from moving from one end of a processing line to the other in terms of moisture and, and dust content so or moisture and, and particle size which adds to the complexity a couple of things you mentioned there that I, I wanted to highlight i kind of said that you know that you have your own atex trainings inside of Rising and and that was the biggest takeaway i took away from explosion safety days when we had met with some of the companies there and these were big food and beverage companies as well you may have presented but you know, some of the other ones as well, we're talking about how they needed to develop, I don't know the, the words they use, we'll, we'll call them their internal regulations. Like, so they follow NAPARE, they follow ATEX, they follow IEC, uh, whatever they follow, but then they create their own internal documentation on how they protect spray dryers, how they protect silos, how they protect occupants. That mm-hmm. covers those other, you know, regulation requirements. That way, when the other regulation requirements is more just to check, okay, does their internal standard system, if you want to call it that still meet the minimum requirements then they can really it comes a bit easier to train your staff it comes a bit easier to say this is what we you know believe in terms of combustible dust or or Mm -hmm. gas explosions i really recommend that for these you know larger companies to start thinking that way how do we create our own even bring your own internal expert on is a great thing to do Uh, is that common in in companies or are you seeing with other companies that happens less than they're just sort of going out and trying to read 652 or, or other standards, you know, and don't have their own internal systems?
1: That's a good question, to be honest. I think that the FreeSmart of as a dairy company, or as maybe we are kind of a forerunner, we have our own ATEX core team with our experts, we have our own internal ATEX standards. To be honest, I don't know. Of course, the, the oil and the, the chemical industry has it as well. But regarding dust, I don't think so. Yeah, maybe we are quite unique.
0: I do know a couple other companies that do that, but it's it's the minority. And I'll give mm-hmm. you an example. I just I was thinking of the conversations we've had over the years, and um, I don't remember the specifics of this one, but I, I remember we had presented or or maybe on the podcast had something about bow ties. Um, must have been in, in wood pellet facilities in Canada. Would, would be the most likely topic. It's probably Kaylee Rain or Brown, and and he sort of emailed me said, you know, can we see those bow ties and, and so the reason why I assume was you're able to look at that and integrate it into your own body of knowledge as a company and make improvements. But if you're just running off NFPA 652 or the ATEX Directive specifically, as they're written in sort of prescriptive approach, then a bow tie on <laughs> on wood fellat mills is probably useless to you because you, you're, it's not your body of work that you're adding to. You You sort of have to internalize that and then you have something that's flexible and moldable you can add in the newest information. And I just, I don't think those discussions on integrating new learnings are really even possible unless you have your own standards development process, internal, you know, guidance development process, I guess is probably a better word. So I I can't encourage that more and hopefully hearing this on the podcast will encourage any other (laughs) ATEX experts that get into companies to start saying, hey, how do we, how do we start doing this ourselves?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I must admit that uh, some of our big competitors in the dairy field also has a good very good ATEX expert. So we are not unique uh, in the bigger ones also have it. So yeah. um, but of course you need to have a kind of mass a bit a kind of greatness that you can allow this and and that's that for sure.
0: I want to get into any words of wisdom you have for others that might go down this path. But I think, sort of, even before we get there, our, our next interview is going to be about um, investigations, looking at gas explosions and dust explosions, and some of the differences in that. I, I think it'd be interesting at this stage, you know, just to go through what kind of activities you are typically involved in with Friesland Capena. And I think that'll be sort of the end of this episode. Just day to day, what does the life of a, a global ATEX um, expert entail? And then we'll get into some of the learnings in the next episode. But I do want to leave this episode off with that for they go down this path, what do they end up doing?
1: Yeah, well, let me give some examples of my daily work. Uh, For example, we have a spray dryer in in, in Pakistan and the question is, uh, are the explosion vent panels big enough? So then I get involved in uh, the calculation of explosion vent panels. We have our own ATEX training. So often having Q&A sessions with our ATEX knowledge holders, worldwide so every site has an ATEX knowledge holder as we call them and regularly we have QA sessions with them and just today I'm planning a new ATEX knowledge holder day where we uh, get together with all the ATEX knowledge holders. I had a discussion uh, about our ATEX audits. We also perform ATEX audits on the sites and I just had a discussion with our global sheet director about the findings of our ATEX audits and how to follow, follow them up. Only three topics, but there are many more, which my work entails.
0: Yes, I can imagine. But it is helpful to, to hear that, you know, it, tr- providing training, being that center mm-hmm. resource for all the uh, local knowledge holders and, and obviously um, instant investigation or even near miss investigation mm-hmm. or... Just explosion protection design, safety systems, maintenance of sort of those systems. I think you and I are hopefully going to get a discussion on on failure of explosion protection devices um, and, and other things in the future. So it's a very interesting field. Like I said, if it's not obvious by now, I, 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 uh, I love the field of dust explosions. I think it's tremendously interesting. Um, and I can tell that you do. You enjoy it as well. I think wrapping up for this interview, Paul, just any words of wisdom that you can share? From your journey for someone who's um, you know listened to this and might be interested in trying to follow the same sort of path
1: well there there are two words of this if if there is time (laughs) yes Uh, first of all when you make your latex zoning the dust area classification there are the rules and there are the schemes and but always compare it with what you observe in practice i've seen sometimes people Making area classifications, they are too severe with what is happening in reality. And then, so always use your common sense. Always compare the area classification with common sense. Well, that is first. And the second is, with ATEX, the danger is in the detail. Small changes in the process can cause explosions because sometimes... A small change may lead to a slightly uh, higher temperature or slightly different air flows or, you know, that, that dust gets stuck and, and suddenly you have a heat build up and a smoldering clump exists and then you get an explosion. Watch out for your management of change process. If the MOC is not done well, you are in trouble. So these are some virtuals.
0: yeah, I love those. You know, paying attention to what the site actually has like you could you could, mm. I suppose do area classification by just drawing circles of different diameter have different diameters around equipment mm. and sort of mm. putting those in <laughs> into a diagram and then say, "Here's your area classification without looking at the site, that's probably a bad idea <laughs> because if you're not paying you know attention to the site in the common sense, then you may get nonsensical answers instead of doing something like
1: yeah. that. Exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And then MOC, management of change, and even small changes can have huge effects on yeah. the starting of smoldering combustion, on electrostatics, uh, all those challenging areas that we talked exactly. about. So I couldn't agree more that that's a, an important
1: topic. And, and that makes it so dangerous in a sense, ATEX. I mean, you can say, you know, from a distance, oh, the installation looks, looks okay, but then. You know, such a small detail like a loose uh, earthing cable or a wrong hose, which was antistatic, but someone uh, uh, changed it for a non antistatic hose, may cause an incident. And, and that makes it so so dangerous and difficult. Yeah, I, could,
0: I couldn't agree more. And, and I think with you out there and others like you, I'm hoping we're up for the challenge and hopefully we can educate <laughs> other folks to, to get into the, the field as well. So we're going to close out this episode with a uh, Paul van Norden. Paul, thank you for going through this interview, talking about this topic of how to become a global expert in explosion safety. I'm looking forward to getting you back on the podcast next week to talk through, you know, more specifics on incident investigation, some of the lessons learned there. But uh, for today we'll, we'll close off and we'll say thank you again.
1: Okay. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Paul van Norden we are be talking about how to become a global expert in explosion safety and explosion protection. So we've talked through Paul's background, uh, starting off as a mechanical engineer, working as a missionary for uh, in, in Albania, and then around the 2000s, coming back to the Netherlands, getting involved with the European CE directives, starting to work more with ATEX, both on the employer side, or on the manufacturing side, and on the, the customer side. So doing things like hazard analysis, zoning studies for the customers, and then for the manufacturers, working with them for for equipment certification and those sort of areas. It's really interesting to hear that journey. You know, we we talked about why early 2000s, about 2003, how there were some large scale incidents that had multiple you know large loss, large fatality incidents or multiple fatality incidents we'll say, uh, that really drove what is now this most recent renaissance, this most recent revival in combustible dust that's happened over the last 20 years both here in North America and and really across the world. We talked a bit about some some presentation work that uh, I'm working on, history of dust explosions. So a sneak peek of that. I don't know when when that slide deck will actually come out. But it's interesting to see that those same incidents had ripple effects that really stretched out throughout the world. We talked about how one might get into becoming a global expert in explosion safety and protection. We talked about sort of the self-training route, looking at things like European Guide for ATEX directives, um, looking at the standards themselves, looking at PA standards, VDI and any other sort of global standards um, that are out there. Uh, talking to suppliers, going to events, joining communities, joining committees. These are all really good and important activities to further your career in this area. We did talk about some more, let's call them standardized training routes. And there are some of these available for ATEX and internationally and um, in European countries specifically and, and other countries around the world. Actually, there's there seems to be maybe less of them here in North America, but internationally there are more... We'll say standardized training approaches for this. We talked about, you know, moving from training to getting into this field to how to become involved with the company. And once you get involved with the company, what might you be doing as their ATEX expert? Things like providing training to groups of individuals, things like being, you know, working with the knowledge holders at a site level to understand and address challenges with, with ATEX compliance or um, explosion safety systems, doing explosion safety design, verification. Uh, all those activities over the life cycle of those types of devices, over those processing units, you know, that are really important activities that you'd be getting into on a daily basis. Uh, and we closed up talking about some, you know, words of wisdom and things that you would be looking at if you're in this area. And Paul left us with two really good ones. You know, you use common sense. and If you're doing your zoning, your area classification, make sure you compare that to reality at the end of the day. And then focusing on management change, making sure that the changes in the process are then being addressed, paying attention to those details, how they might actually you know, cause the elements of the explosion in the Pentagon to, to come to life. So that could be dispersion of the dust, that could be smaller particle size, making it more reactive. That could be introduction of new ignition sources, could be introduction of oxidizing mediums if you're using inerting systems. And I'm sure there's one more side of the Pentagon because there's five of them, but if you could believe it, I can't think of what the, the one that is that I, I missed. So we had dispersion, ignition, dust, uh, oxidant and confinement. There it is. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So looking at uh, your confinement systems as well. So it was really interesting discussion. Really enjoy Paul sharing his expertise. Uh, his you know multiple decades of experience in this industry. Really forward to getting him back on the podcast next week to talk about some of the lessons learned through incident investigation. So with that, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing in the industry handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work that you're doing every day.